we start today our summer mix, a series of summer sermons that you all came up with. And we have some really fun ones. Uh, the first one in, marriage. Please talk about marriage. So that's next week. And I'm excited about it. The sermon title is Moving Marriages from Hell to Heaven. So if you have a marriage that you feel like is in hell, we're going to try and help understand how to move it to heaven. Okay? And um, there's some others I'm excited about. Um, we had uh, some about, how, what's it mean to be a man today anymore? It's so confusing. And we're going to talk about that. And uh, I, I think we're going to have some fun um, as we look at a variety of topics. One of them is, how do you get your head around God? I mean, really? He is so other. He is so beyond us. How, how do you get your head around God? And then uh, one of the challenging ones, I'm, it'll be good. Um, where have all the miracles gone? We read about them in the Bible, but I haven't seen the Red Sea divided lately. I haven't seen the dead raised. So where have all the miracles gone? That's a tough question. So we're going to look at some interesting stuff this summer. There is a schedule. It's on the website too. So if there is a particular topic. Oh, there's one more I'm really excited about. Really excited about. Father's Day. Dads, be here. How to be a hero. Okay. Sorry. Um. I intentionally picked this title for this sermon because I think we would all react to this pretty negatively. I think for most of us, I hope for most of us, the concept of sitting and watching somebody drown is just repulsive to us. I mean, whether we could swim or not, if we saw somebody drown, we'd do something. I mean, if we can swim, we'd probably jump in and try and help. If we can't swim, we'd throw them something. We'd call 911. We'd, we'd try and throw them something to float on, a line, anything. We'd do something to try and help. And the thought that we would see somebody drowning and just calmly sit and do nothing is unthinkable. But what I want to talk about today is the concept that maybe we're actually doing that and not realizing it. This is actually, of the, all the sermons this summer, this is mine. Had you asked me a year ago, I would not have listed this topic. I wouldn't have said, I'm going to turn in this topic to preach on. But over the last 31 weeks, as we've gone through the entire story of God, and all that he has done since he created humans up to today, I couldn't escape this concept that kept coming back again and again and again. In the Old Testament, the New Testament. And the concept that just kept coming back to me is how deeply God is concerned for his children who are far away from him. Who maybe don't even know him or deny he exists or or hate him. But that God has this deep burden. And he just, he won't give up. He won't let it go. And he will go to any length, including dying, because he is so obsessed with helping his children find him again. I just couldn't escape that the longer the series went. 
And I thought, we got to talk about that. And I'll explain why. And then it all came through to me last Sunday. Um, the Sunday school classes, or at least some of the Sunday school classes, were finishing the story last Sunday, and we're looking at the book of Revelation. And after church last Sunday, because we had family in town, our whole family ate together. And so we're sitting down to eat, and my one grandson, Ben, was sitting right next to me. And during the conversation, he said, we studied Revelation in Sunday school today. Okay. He said, that's a scary book. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Why is it scary? He said, well, they said there's a book, and you better have your name in it. And I want to make sure I'm good enough to have my name in it. Okay. Then he kept talking. He said, it's scary, too, because I know some of my friends at school don't know Jesus. And that means bad things are going to happen to them. And he said, that scares me for them. And that's this whole thing that's been building in me for 31 weeks. How scared are we for our friends who don't know Jesus? Or are we sitting in our churches comfortably watching them drown? This is a tough subject. I know it is. And you hear how quiet the room just got? That's why the subject on the sign and in the publicity didn't mention the word evangelism. I wanted you to come so we could talk about this. You see, there's a disconnect. And that's part of what we need to talk about. No working. Go, Brent. And what I mean by that is Jesus has been pretty clear for us. He's given us a couple scriptures. We know them. We've talked about them. One is, go ahead, Brent. Sorry. As you're going about your lives, as you're living life, make disciples, teach, baptize, help others become disciples. And then the next one, be my witnesses. Tell others about me. Tell others in your own town. Tell others in your own state. Tell others in your own country. Tell others around the world about me. And yet a majority of Christians, some studies rate it as high as 90% of Christians in America never lead one other person to Jesus. So somewhere there's a disconnect. Because I think all of us in this room would say, if God spoke clearly to me and said, go do, thou, go do this and this, we'd say, okay, God, whatever you say, I'll go do it. And yet God has been real clear, and yet so many of us don't. And that's what I mean about that disconnect when it comes to evangelism. Too many of us are like Jonah, where God says go and we run the other way. Why is that? 
I think, first of all, we need to understand God's heart. Oh, thanks, it's working. God loves the people around us. We know John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Those world are the people living around you and me, my neighbors, the people who work beside me, the people on the ball field beside me. God loves those people, all those people, even those who are far from God, even those whose lifestyle God would not agree with. God still cares about them. And God still desperately wants them to come home to him. So if we understand that heart of God, why do we struggle so? Why is it so hard for us? I think there's several reasons. I just want to throw out some. You might have other opinions of why we struggle with evangelism. I think one of the reasons is we like to be around people who are like us. If we had our choices, we'd rather be with people who have the same values we, we have, who, who use the same language we use, who listen to the same kind of music we do, who watch the same kinds of shows, all of those things. We're more comfortable around those people. If I'm to the far right, I probably don't spend a lot of my time with people politically in the far left. We don't have a lot to talk about, and vice versa. If I'm a diehard Vikings fan, I probably don't. I was driving through Wisconsin yesterday. I was an hour plus into Wisconsin, drove past a barn. There was a huge Vikings logo on the barn. I thought, ooh, brave soul. We don't mix those two up much, do we? Unfortunately, that's true for us as Christians sometimes. We tend to stay with the people we go to church with. Other Christians, too often people write about it as we create a Christian bubble and we live in that Christian bubble because it's safer, it's more comfortable, and that's part of it. I think part of it is we've come to see the world as our enemy. Those people out there stand for things we are opposed to. They do things that we think are wrong. And out of that, it sets up an us-them mentality. It, it digs a chasm. And we are opponents. And that doesn't encourage us to go. The other thing that came to mind for me is we are currently living in a culture that has a very strong message of you don't tell your values to anybody else. Everybody is to decide what is truth for them. And so if you don't see it my way, leave me alone. To do anything else, to push your values on me, is seen as offensive, legalistic, or judgmental. And that is the strong message of our culture. And too many of us as Christians have said, okay, then I'll be quiet. Because I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to be seen as a Bible thumper. I don't want to be seen in those ways, so I'll just... Be quiet. As long as I can have my values, I won't inflict mine on you. I think the last thing is, we're not sure what we should do. As our world has changed so much and the values and attitudes of our culture have changed so much, the traditional things that we have done for evangelism 
don't work anymore. When was the last time you saw a church hold a revival? When was the last time you saw somebody at work pick up a tract and say, oh, I'm so glad somebody left a tract in the lunchroom? No, they throw it away and run the other way and say, well, one of those darn Christians, and they might not use the word darn, is leaving stuff again. And it turns people off. So if those tools that we're so accustomed to are taken away, what do we do? And I'll be the first to confess the church hasn't done a good job of developing new ideas and new solutions. And so we're left with what do we do? But whatever reasons we we want to line up, whatever reasons that you feel are affecting this, one thing is not changed. God cares about those who are far from him. And he expects us to care and do something about it. Help him. So what do we do? I want to just quickly list a number of things. There's, uh, they're in the bulletin or in the notes. Some ideas, some things to think about. The first thing is refuse to do nothing. Reach a point where you say the status quo is no longer acceptable. We have to do something. That it's no longer okay to do nothing. It's no longer okay to just feel guilty once in a while when Jim talks about evangelism. And then I'll get over that by about Tuesday and nothing changes. That we need to reach a point of saying I'm no longer content to do nothing. I don't know what it may be, but I'm going to do something. I think that's true as a church. We need to be, as a church, saying we are not content unless our evangelism ministry is the strongest ministry team in our church. Because of God's heart. We're not content to do nothing. The second thing we need to do is pray. If you don't know anything else to do, you can do that. And you've already taken care of the first two. Begin praying. First, pray for your own heart. As someone has said, we need to pray that our heart is broken like God's heart. Because until our hearts are broken like his, we will be content to do nothing. And so somewhere God's heart has to soak down into our heart. And realize how he sees those people who are far from him. He sees them as that one lost sheep out on the mountain. And he will go to any length to find them. That heart needs to seep into our heart. Pray for guidance. Have an honest conversation, God. God, I know this matters to you. I am clueless. I'm scared. I don't know a thing to do, so you've got to help me. God loves that kind of prayer. Just pray for asking him to help you with this whole issue. And then start praying for people. Just identify some people in your life that are far from God and start praying for them. And don't just pray for them. Pray for the people you're going to run into today that you don't even know. But God is going to put you in their path. We call them divine appointments. 
Pray for those people that you don't even know. And pray that your eyes will be open. When you meet them, you don't miss that divine appointment. The next step is go. I wanted to have a banner over the doors today, but I didn't have time to get it ready. You've seen it in some churches. It's not a new idea. But you have a banner on this side of the door, so as you leave on Sunday, it says, Welcome to your mission field. Because it's the truth. Go. Get out of your Christian comfort zone and mix it up with those who are far from God. I I know that's going to stretch some of you. We have so struggled to protect ourselves. For good reasons, we want to be holy. We want to live the right lifestyle. And so we want to avoid those who might lead us in other ways. But in the process, we have avoided the very mixing it up that allows us to engage those who are far from God. See, we need to seek out those non-Christians to get to know them, to build relationships with them, Do you know one of the criticisms of Jesus? He was called a friend of sinners. How many of us as Christians suffer that accusation? I think we need to wrestle with that. And we need to get it out and get out and mix it up. My goal would be that every one of us as Christians, could identify I'm doing one thing to get out and make friends with non-Christians. I joined this volleyball league, and it's not a church league. I I took this class in adult ed. I'm over in here doing this. I'm scrapbooking over here with this neighborhood group. Whatever it might be that I can intentionally build friendships with non-Christians. When you're doing that, the next thing is listen. Now, if you've been a Christian a long time, this means this does not start with a P as in preach. It starts with an L as in listen. Too often we think we should build a relationship so we can quickly get to preaching at people. We need to listen to their story. We need to get to know them. What makes them tick? What are their dreams? What are their fears? What are they thinking about all day and and the evening? And what may be waking them up in the middle of the night? Because then we start to understand them. And God will use that, but we first have to listen. I realize we all live beside and work beside people who are far from God. But my question is this, how well do we know them? Do we know that person we work beside that we know has never darkened a church door? Do we know what makes them tick? Have we taken the time to get to know their fears, their questions, what's going on in their life? We need to listen. And then we need to care. You see, if anything Jesus would teach us, it's we start with caring. 
He didn't just feed His disciples. He didn't just heal the twelve. He was out with strangers and sinners and people far from God who never went near the temple, and He fed them. And He healed them. And He went and ate with them in their homes. He let them know that He cared about them. They had worth in His eyes right now, just as they are. And it's no wonder then, after he had shown them how much he cared by his actions, they flocked to hear him teach. Too often the church has reversed that and said, we need to teach you first, straighten out your life, then we'll care. And we wonder why people have said, I'm not so sure you really care. We have to start with that point. You know that old adage. People do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. We need to show people we care by our actions. Change the goal. Again, in the church, our goal has been what? Bring our unchurched friends to the church. Because at the church, there are professional fishermen who will do a real good job of catching them. So we just want to sort of herd the fish towards the bass tourney. And then those guys in those really expensive boats are going to catch them. And we're going to watch the bass tourney on the TV and say, wow, look at the size of that fish. I want to change the model. Instead of having a fishing tournament, What if we had one of those clinics where everybody gets handed a fishing rod and the kids get taught how to fish? Because I want to tell you something. It's fun to watch somebody catch a 30-pound fish, but it's a boatload more fun to catch the 30-pound fish yourself. And the truth is, God wants every one of us to know the joy of, of helping somebody else come home to God. I love that we have changed and allow anyone to baptize someone, not just a pastor. Talk to people who've done that and the joy of being in that baptistry and baptizing somebody. And that's just a little taste of that joy that honestly Jesus wants every one of us to know. I was able to have a conversation with somebody about God. I was able to explain to somebody what Jesus has done in my life. And that feels so good. This isn't just something for Jim to do or Andy or Kim or Rhonda to do. This is something any of us can do. And know that joy, that fun, that sense of I helped somebody find their way home to God. A couple more. Think about your story. So you're ready to talk about your story. Why do you believe? Why have you chosen to be sitting here on Sunday morning? Why do you not try to live life without God? What have you learned? What's going on in your head? Why do you think Jesus is worth following? 
This is your story. This isn't a canned, memorized speech. This is your testimony. This is what I've learned. This is what I've found. It's the most powerful testimony. My favorite example of evangelism in the Gospels is the blind man. If you've heard me talk, I just love it. The Pharisees just get all bent out of shape because Jesus is healing. People are, are believing, and they want to close this down. So they drag in, first of all, the blind man's parents, and they want to grill them. And like typical humans, they say, hey, 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 it's not us. Ask our son. They want to get off the hot seat. So then they drag in the son, and they say, okay, we have all these questions for you. And all he says, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have all your answers. Is he the Messiah or not? Or all of this stuff. I only know one thing. Yesterday I was blind. Today I can see, and he did it. That's his story. How do you argue with that? I can debate evolution. I can debate lots of things. But how do you debate a blind man saying, I can see today, and Jesus did it? You all have stories. They may not be as dramatic But you have stories, but you need to think about that story so you're ready when someone asks. That's that passage in 1 Peter 3. Always be prepared. Think about your story. To give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that's in you. Think about your story. Look for opportunities to have spiritual discussions about life, about questions. Press yourself, and I know this will be hard. It's hard for me. Move beyond the weather. Move beyond the Vikings or the twins. Ask about life. Guys, I know that's hard. Harder for us, way harder for us. But it's amazing if you'll just take that one little step and say, you know, I was there once. It scared me to death. That's a spiritual discussion starting. See how they answer. Say something about, I'll bet you're scared, aren't you? See where that goes. Ask me, have you ever thought about God? In the right time, in the right setting, you don't just sort of bring that up. But look for those opportunities just with simple questions to start spiritual discussions. You never know where it'll go. The whole class that we offer here periodically, walk across the room. The next time that's offered, I hope you'll take it. I hope we have 50 people take it. Because its whole focus is just to help us learn how to start spiritual discussions. The next one, be patient, not pushing. God is working on the people around you. It's not just you. Don't get this desperate urgency because God may be using other people. Be patient. Do what you can and pray. Forcing people turns them away and drives them away. There's a book out today that has really challenged me. And the whole title of the book is The Church Needs to Change Its Scorecard. And what he talks about in the book is that too often 
the scorecard of the church has been how many people do we get to come here on a Sunday morning? What if we started counting some other things? What if we started counting how many people are we praying for? Or we started counting acts that we did, acts of kindness this week, for either unchurched people or strangers. But we consciously did something to care. What if we started counting how many spiritual discussions we were able to have this week? Or chances to tell about our faith and what we found? See, those are the kinds of things that would change how we see what we're doing as Christians. What I've shared with you is my own wrestling. I just know in walking away from God's story, he is deeply concerned for the people around us who don't know him. And he asks us to help him. Let's pray. Father, this isn't a feel-good topic. Uh, It makes a lot of us uncomfortable. But more important than that discomfort is your love and care. And your request that we would help you love and care. And so, Father, somehow I ask you to use my words today. They're, they're inadequate. But I pray your Spirit can convict us and guide us and show us what we can do to help you. Because you love Anoka County. You love Minnesota and the United States and the countries around this world, even those of your children who are far from you you still want to reach them. Help us help you. In your son's name, amen.